You're listening to DevOps and Docker Talk, and I'm your host, Brett Fisher. These are edited audio-only versions of my YouTube live show that you can join every Thursday at brett.live. This podcast is sponsored by my Patreon members. I'd like to thank all the paid supporters that make this show possible. You can get more info and follow my updates on all the content and open source I'm creating at patreon.com slash brettfisher. And as a reminder, all the links for this show, the topics we discuss, as well as the links I've already mentioned, are available on the podcast website at podcast.brettfisher.com. This particular topic may not sound exciting as it is important. Kubernetes schema validation. That sounds like a very boring technical talk, right? That is sort of one of those things that only a few people are super interested in. But as we'll get into in the show with my guest, E.R. Zilberman, we talk about how this is vital, especially when you start to automate a lot of your deployments. Maybe you're doing GitOps, or maybe you're just having something automatically apply YAML on your Kubernetes infrastructure, which you need to do eventually as you automate all the things. Well, it becomes much more important to make sure that your YAML is proper YAML, that the schema is proper Kubernetes schema, and then finally that your organizational standards are adhered to. And we'll get into what all that means in this excellent episode around Kubernetes and YAML validation. Hello, and welcome to my show. We're talking about YAML today, so we're going to really get into that and validation and what that means. And I th want to thank you so much for being on, on the, the show, all of my guests. And this week, I'm very excited to have, all the way from Tel Aviv, almost on the other side of the world, I got E.R. Zilberman. And thank you so much. For it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for hosting me. <laughs> well, thanks for being on the show. Uh, we're going to talk all about schema validation, which at first glance, it seems like, oh, that's... That we're talking about YAML. Why? But for those out there, if you're implementing anything Kubernetes related, and it's not even just Kubernetes, but we're going to focus on Kubernetes today, right? You will make this, these mistakes at some point and you will not realize it until it's either too late or until you're fixing a bug and your schema is all wonked and now you can't even ship it because Kubernetes won't accept it. So I feel like this is vital to every team and a super important topic. So I'm excited to, to get going on it. When you think about this problem, how would you define this problem like an elevator pitch to me? Why would I care? Wow, okay. So you will care because if you won't follow that and you will use invalid schema, it will just won't work. Right. Th that's the best pitch ever, right? You can submit a failed YAML to your cluster because it won't be accepted. So that's elevator pitch. But if I'm allowed to give more than the elevator pitch, so let's yeah. talk about validation itself. So in the Kubernetes ecosystem, and I guess it's actually relevant to every infrastructure as code, there are four steps of validation and people actually never put it into different steps. So I guess they, they are doing it, but they just don't know that this is how they work. So let right. me just list them so we know what we're talking about. So the first thing that you want to make sure that you have a valid file. Let's have an example. I want to make sure that my YAML file is valid, JSON file, whatever. The second thing that you want to do is you want to make sure that the schema is correct. We'll talk more about it the entire show. So <laughs> I'm going to skip to the next step. After that, you want to make sure that you are following best practices. And the final step is that you want to make sure that it's following your organization policy. So it sounds really simple. Let's break it down. 
So what is a valid file in this right. example, a valid Kubernetes? So a valid YAML file is, it, it doesn't help if you just put, I don't know, Kubernetes.yaml, it won't make it a YAML file. A valid YAML file is if you have key value, right? And the difference between that and schema is that you need to have a valid schema for your Kubernetes files in order for them to be accepted. So I know it's still a little vague. I will try to explain it a little bit better. So every Kubernetes file is a YAML file, but not every YAML file is a Kubernetes file. Right. Make sense? Totally. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> so now that we established that, what's, uh, what's unique about the Kubernetes file, which make it a Kubernetes file? So for example, it's have to have API version. It's have to have a kind property. Yep. It's have to have a metadata property and some other stuff. But basically, this is the mandatory uh, configuration. Right, the minimum. The bare yeah. minimum, exactly. So if you don't have that, it won't be a Kubernetes file, but it can still be a YAML file. So the thing is that you want to make sure that you have all the mandatory properties. And let's say that you are using, uh, I don't know, deployment or cron job or something like that. So you have a bunch of other properties that need to exist on this specific kind of deployment uh, when you're submitting it to your cluster. Okay. Yeah. One of the things I noticed, especially in my courses, is a lot of people are actually starting with Kubernetes and, and maybe to a less, uh, certain extent Docker Compose, which is also YAML. And that's their first entry into YAML, the data language or whatever you want to call this, the YAML itself. But that's part of, I think, part of the challenge too, is that they're learning not only what has to be in there, but also how it has to be formatted because YAML can be particular and not everyone realizes some of the errors that they can have and not all of the default, like you're saying, it doesn't work, right? Things eventually won't work, but the errors sometimes are just so vague or confusing to a lot of people that uh, it's a common question in our courses around, there's a problem here and I don't understand the problem. And then it's usually something to do in the file. It's, a, it's either invalid YAML or it's an invalid resource type, or there's a spelling error, or there's just values in the schema spec that, that aren't real. So sorry, please continue. I'm, yeah, I'm agreeing so, with you on this problem. <laughs> you're right. It's really confusing because, for example, um, most properties in Kubernetes start with a small ledger. For example, if you want to write kind, metadata, whatever, but when you state the kind type, it starts with a capital letter, deployment mm -hmm. with a capital D, cron job with a capital C. So it's inconsistent and this is yeah. what's confusing people. And this is also what's causing those problems because if you're going to put deployment with a small d, it won't be the same <laughs> and it will fail. And it's funny because it's one character away from becoming an invalid schema, invalid file, which result as invalid configuration that you can't push to your cluster. Mm -hmm. So it's really small stuff that you need to be aware of. And this is schema. But I also want to explain what is not schema, okay? So schema is everything that is considered as best practices or internal policies and are not mandatory in to create a valid file. For example, I can deploy a Kubernetes deployment file without mentioning the CPU limit or right. memory limit or whatever. And it will still be a valid Kubernetes file. It will still be a valid YAML file. It's fine. But we all know that it's actually a mandatory best practice that you right. want to make sure that you have on, on your configuration. Yeah. 
In fact, certain security tools, this was a topic of conversation recently on one of our monthly DevOps chat things where people were talking about like security tools are now alerting that you don't have resource limits, which I have mixed up feelings and opinions on. Oh, because, I also have an opinion about it. Yeah, because I feel like it's on the, I was like, well, is this security? I mean, yes, it's a stretch. maybe. It's a stretch. Yeah, it's a stretch. They're trying to add value. I get it. But uh, a lot of us will deploy for the longest time, especially when we're learning these tools. We'll just keep doing this and it's all working. And that's the great example of a kind of thing where eventually it will bite you that you don't have it. Then you end up setting a standard. But how do you enforce that standard? That's a great topic. So... Yeah, but again, this is not something that I want to include together with the schema. It's, it's another topic, you're right, it's yep. something that you need to enforce, it's something that you need to include, but it's not schema. Because like I said, it will still be a valid Kubernetes file also if you don't mention the CPU limit, or even if you're using tag latest, which is a shitty practice, but again, <laughs> it will still be valid, right? Yeah, yep. Okay, cool. So now that we established uh, the knowledge about what is schema and what is not schema, we can actually talk about What's the problem with that? So the thing is that schema, the way that I, look, I think about schema is like unit test for your configuration. This is the way that I love to, to think about it. And in the Kubernetes space, someone already did all the heavy lifting and already wrote all the different unit tests. And this is the Kubernetes JSON schema. So think about it. Someone actually mapped all the different properties that need to be there in all the different metrics of, and combinations of deployment and the code job and daemon set and whatever, all the different stuff that you have there. Someone, oh, oh, I guess it's not someone, it's a lot of people, it's the community, it's us. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so someone wrote those unit tests and actually defined the, how the schema should look like. So someone did all the heavy lifting for us. It's cool. And now all is left to do is actually to make sure that we are following those right. unit tests. So we actually are doing it by default. Also, if we don't know, the second that we are doing kubectl apply and we are pushing um, resource into the cluster, this is actually something that's happening on the server side on the background. Okay. And as it's running, it's actually doing that and it's doing some other validations that are not part of the schema and you expect them to be a part of the schema, but it's another topic. We can maybe talk about it later. <laughs> Don't go into the source code of Kubernetes. It's a rabbit hole. I'm telling you. Right. Never mind. <laughs> so <laughs> they are doing all this kind of validation. And if it actually see that something is missing, let's give the example, you misspelled deployment and you used it with a small letter. So it will reject it and it actually won't try to apply it into your cluster. It will tell you that you have a problem. It's not valid. So th 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 that's cool. So what's the problem? If, if it's happening by default, why do we need to talk about it? Right. So the problem is that it's happening only when you're trying to push it to your cluster. Right. And you want to actually catch it as soon as possible. Well, the shift left approach, which I truly believe in that. Oh, for you sure. Want, yeah, you want to catch it when it's happening. You don't want to catch it when someone's trying to deploy it. Yeah. And a lot of these things eventually get automated. I, I would say that in my experience with Kubernetes and applying changes, GitOps and those approaches of automated YAML, essentially applying YAML, those tools are getting popular and popular. In fact, when I start to get with companies now on new projects, they already have a plan for whether they're using Flux or Fleet or Argo or whatever the tool is. And that's like, those will be the tools that 
fail and that's too late, right? Because now you're troubleshooting essentially a production system and maybe part of your resource is applied, but then the critical one that has that spelling error in it isn't there, but the other ones are. So now you've got a mismatch and yeah, that just, it, it fails badly in, in a lot of ways, uh, especially when you start to automate. It's like automation just basically makes late game failures just really suck instead of, so yes, shift left. Let's talk about that. Yeah, the, the, also the problem that in some companies, the um, person that's actually pushing it, the person, you know, we, we love to say CI, CD, but we need to remember that it's actually two processes. It's CI and CD. Right. And sometimes it's not happening together. So the person that's doing the CI is not always the person that's doing the CD. So it's, it's funny if the person that's doing the CD is getting an error that some early on the funnel actually made. And now it's like a context switch. I need to yeah. talk with this guy and telling him that he need to fix it because it's actually not applied to the cluster, you know. Right. You got the operations engineer that's manually applying these things to a particular cluster, but they didn't make the PR for the change. So they may not be the expert on exactly why it's failing now, whereas the last deployment didn't fail. Yeah. So I feel that we all agree that we need to shift it left, right? Right. We're all on the same right. page on that. Cool. So let's talk about ways to do it. As you think, you can do it natively with kubectl. It's actually have a flag, a really cool flag, which is called dry run. So it's kubectl minus minus dry run, and then you need to pass an argument. It will be um, client or server, because mm -hmm. there's a difference between if you want to have a server validation, you need to have a running cluster. Yeah. So you have a connection to your cluster. And if you're doing it with a client argument, so you also need to have a cluster up and running and it's need to be connected. Even for client, really? Wait, what did I say? Yeah, exactly. Also for <laughs> client. And that's weird. Why do I have it for client? So I looked into it and apparently it's not a feature, it's a bug. Oh. But it's just another bug among 1,000 and something bugs that you have on the Kubernetes project. Yeah. And right now, no one is taking care of it. Right. It's already it, open there for more than one year. So once we had server options for a dry run, well, first, I clearly don't know the client side because I, I never run it, so I didn't realize it needed a cluster. I always assumed it would be easier to use the client side for default Again, I guess we're going to get into this, I'm sure, like default resources versus uh, CRD, stuff like that. And I just assumed that it was the client side was really meant for scenarios where you wanted to test the validation, but you didn't have a cluster to talk to. So you needed, you just wanted an automated tool to check for you, or maybe you put it into your editor as some sort of background check or something like that. So this isn't possible today, it sounds like. Impossible. Okay. So this is exactly, it should work exactly like you described it, but it's impossible. It's actually a bug and it's need to have a connection to your cluster in order to work. So it's make it irrelevant at all. Okay. <laughs> so by the way, if you do have a connection to your cluster, I will start with the good news. The best way to do it is actually with the native tool, which is kubecat at dry run. But it's only if you have the privilege to have a connection to your cluster. When you don't have this privilege, so let's say I work in an organization and not all the developers in my organization have a connection to my cluster because it makes sense. You don't want to have all your developers a connection to your cluster, your production clusters. So it won't work for them. Another place that it won't work is if you don't want your CI to be connected to your cluster, which also makes sense. So sure, your hmm. CD should be connected to your cluster or because it's need to push it eventually. But sometimes you don't want your CI machines to be connected to your cluster. Yeah. Yeah. Especially there's a trick 
to managing because very few times does someone have just one cluster, right? So then you end up with all these clusters. I, I've seen this in projects with customers where as they get more secure, they don't necessarily want the single CI solution to have access to every cluster possible because then it just becomes such a target for nefarious uh, activity because it has ability to write to every possible machine all over the planet. So I see where that that starts to become a problem too, where you, you can't talk to the server that you really need to talk to in order to validate. So you're just going to have to wing it. <laughs> yeah. So how does that happen? Yeah. Okay. So now that we understand the problem and we understand why we can't use the built-in solution. And I went into a little digging and looked for solutions. I like, no way I'm the only one that's trying to check for schema <laughs> offline. There's no way I, I'm the only one that's have this problem. And I Googled around and I found a solution and the solution was called it's a cool tool that I think it's actually part of the ecosystem. Yeah, it's Cubival. So have you tried Cubival before? It sounds familiar, but I obviously haven't typed it recently because I don't, it's not even in my, it's not pre-populating in my browser. I was looking it up. <laughs> yeah, so Cubival is solving exactly the problem that I described right now. It's doing the schema validation and it's doing it offline. What's the problem? The problem is that it's missing some key features. So one of the key features that it's missing, in my opinion, is supporting CLDs. Yeah. So CLDs are becoming more and more popular, and it's actually not supporting it. And another problem is that it's looked like this project got abandoned. Uh, this is how I use it. I just realized, sorry, I totally interrupted you. I'm using it in Superlinter, which I've talked a lot about yeah. this year. It's like the all-in-one linting. And this was our first big problem with basically one of our DevOps repos, right? It's because all these repos are labeled some sort of DevOps tool, was that it's doing the KubiVal, but you know who doesn't have CRDs? And it immediately fails all of our builds. And so you have to turn off the CRD checking, which isn't off by default, which seems weird. Yeah, so please, I feel the pain. Please continue. The Thank you for reminding also, me. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is that also, if you wanted to run uh, some kind of schema validation on your CLDs, you can't do it with this tool. It's not supporting it. And mm. another problem is that, like I mentioned, it's actually got abandoned. It's looked like that. I'm, so, I'm sorry, yeah. Garrett is the maintainer of this project. I'm sorry if I got it wrong, but it's looked like the last commit was a really long time ago. And right now, the last time that I checked the version, that it, Kubernetes version that it's supporting is 118. And if I remember correctly, we already have 122 out there. Yeah. Garrett's a great guy. So we're, we're He's definitely. He's a great not, guy. Really yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I've actually had him on this show a couple of times. And that this is the challenge, right, of open source, too. Actually, this has happened multiple times with me this year in linters specifically because they get released by a passionate team that's like, we need linting for X or Y. And so. I would call this some sort of, this is a variation of linting here. It's it's not necessarily strict linting, but um, it gets released, but the maintenance is the nightmare. Like keeping it up to date in anything related to Kubernetes, just every time there's a release, it's going to break your stuff. And then over and over again, and that's a hard thing for a team when they're constantly releasing new open source. So I feel for this team, but I can't fix it myself, right? This is like one of those challenges. It's like, I, I want to help, but I'm not that guy. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not the right guy. Exactly. So yeah, Garrett is a great guy. He started that. He was the first to work on the solution for that. But I feel like Garrett have other projects that he's doing right now. And maybe it's got like uh, on the door burner or something like that. I don't know. And anyway, so it's not supporting CRDs and it's not supporting new releases of Kubernetes. And it's important because every new release have its own 
syntax and its own uh, properties that need to be validated in order to make sure that they are uh, valid uh, Kubernetes file. Okay, so having said that, I looked around and I found this, it was a kind of small project it, and it had like, I don't know, 200 stars when I found it for the first time. The name of the project was KubeConform. KubeConform. Yeah, KubeConform. And KubeConform is actually a really nice project and the way that he market itself is saying that basically it's like KubeEval, only faster, supports CRDs and up to date with the Kubernetes uh, schema. So you also have uh, version 1.22. Nice. Yeah, it looked like a side project that someone did because it's actually not listed under any organization like Kubeval. It's listed right. under a private person. Yeah. His name is Jan. So the first thing, thing that I did is I actually emailed him and I talked with him. So he's a super cool guy and he wrote this awesome project from a pure passion just because he wanted to. Not other reason. He tried right. the Kubeval. He saw that Kubeval is not good enough for his needs. And he said, like what every other developer is saying, I can do it better. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm going to open my own shop. Right. Or he wrote his own project, which is based on Kubeval. So a lot of the code is actually taken from there. And it's fine. But he added all those stuff that are needed, like the CRD support and the new versions for Kubernetes. So right now, the best solution, if you want to check for your Kubernetes schema and you want to do it offline, do it with this project. It's still a small project. It only have like 300 or 400 stars, something like that, right? And the primary maintainer is, is a private person. It's Jan, but he's a cool guy. He's, every time that someone is opening a pull request, he's uh, reviewing it. And every time, that someone, every time that someone is opening an issue, he's responding really quick. So it looks like he's on top of it. All right. So... We need to basically swap out kubeval for kubeconform. Yeah. And you said, and it supports custom resources? Yeah, yeah. It supports custom resources, which is pretty cool. You need to walk, you need to, uh, to add a little background, uh, walk around because basically, right. let's think about it. So, how can it support Kubernetes? Because someone already wrote those unit tests. You remember that we talked about the right. unit tests? How can it support CRDs if it's my own? resource. I never wrote the unit right. test for that. Right. So there is actually a workaround for it because once you submit the CRD, you're actually also defining the schema inside. You have a property that's called schema inside the CRD. Yeah. So this uh, CRD exists on your cluster with the schema itself. So what you can do is that you can pull it from your cluster, write it into a file, and then you can use a cube conform to actually as an input, and then it will do the validation on the CRD from the file it's extracted from your cluster. Very nice. I, I feel like I've actually seen this tool, but I didn't implement it. Terminally. Yeah, it, it, because if you look over, if you look at, look at the readme, it's look like overwhelming. Yeah. There's a lot of information there. It's not easy yeah. to start. Oh yeah, I, I feel like. I probably was looking at it because of the exact kube eval problem you were describing. And I was frustrated and thinking, okay, well, we're really only getting partial support here with this linter. Let me go see if there's another solution. And probably like exactly like you did, I stumbled onto it. And then I I read a bunch and went, okay, I don't got time for this right now. I'm gonna, I'll am gonna, i come back to it. And then I never did. Let right, me so, summarize it for you. It's yeah. doing everything that you are looking for. This is the tool that you need to go with if you want okay. to do schema validation, okay? Actually, this tool is so great 
that we actually implemented inside the tree, which is also an open source. Okay. Um, because we, we had this problem with our users. So what we're doing in the tree? So we talked about me. So I don't know if I actually uh, said, so I, I'm from the we tree. Didn't. I'm leading the product. I did. Okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> You're from the tree. <laughs> yeah. Hi, I'm from the tree. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here from the tree. The tree is an open source tool for developers. It's helped them prevent Kubernetes misconfigurations from reaching production. And it's all, uh, you can also go to our uh, GitHub project, we have 5,000 stars. It's a popular project. We have a lot of love from the community. And I can promise you that this is an active project that is uh, um, well-maintained. Okay. So what happened with our users is that, so we are providing uh, policies for our users. You can use built-in rules or you can create your own custom rules with a tree. And the thing is that a lot of our users came to us and said, hey, I have a problem. It's, it's look like, um, I don't know, this, it's past your policy. Hmm. For example, I had a policy that you want to make sure that you don't use the image tag latest. We mentioned it's a bad practice. Or you want to make sure that you have a memory or CPU or whatever. So it's past the policy, but it's still failing to be applied to the cluster. So we checked the YAML and we said, yeah, sure, of course it's uh, failing. It's because uh, your schema is not valid. And but if it's passing the policy, why I'm not able to push it to the cluster? It doesn't make sense. Right. And they are totally right. If it's passing your best practices and policy, how come you can't push it? And then we said it was a Rika moment. And this is how I actually started to investigate all the schema thing from the get-go. So it was like, okay, they are totally right. It's need to be a prerequisite for every file that we check. Because there's no reason for us to check a file if it's not a valid YAML file and it's not a valid uh, Kubernetes file. Right. So let's add this built-in option that every file that we check that is aligned with your policy is also a valid Kubernetes file, also a valid schema file. As an engineer, you don't want to create something from nothing. You want to use something that someone else did already, right? Right. This is why we have open source. So this is why I try to find a solution that we do the schema validation part for us. The, the ML part, it was easy to find a solution. You have y, YQ and a yep. bunch of other open source that can do it for you. But for the schema, we, we start to investigate and look into it and do benchmarking and, and look in, we thought about different options. Maybe you need to have, I don't know, a cluster that is running and then we can connect it in a way that you can still run the cube cattle, but in offline mode or whatever. Mm. So we try to do like different ways we try to think about different ways to do it. And then we stumble with the Cube Confirm project. I talked with Jan. I asked him, can we use your project as part of our tool? He said, you're open source. I'm open source. Yeah, right. let's help the community. So we said, wow, thank you very much. And this is how we started uh, implementing Cube Confirm into the tree. So today, every time that you're doing a policy check with the tree, it's actually also in the background doing um, schema validation and YAML validation. And when it's doing the schema validation, it's doing it with Kube Conform. Okay. Cool. So that's the different ways that you can use uh, Kube Conform. You can actually use it as a CLI. You can use it in our own CLI, but you can also use it as a package. This is our CLI is using it. It's consuming it as a Go package. Okay. And since it's nice. integrated inside the tool. Yeah. I, I love this definition of breaking down, isolating the three different types of concern that we essentially have around all these. It's Kubernetes plus every YAML. It's every configuration file. But Kubernetes in particular has this problem where, like I was describing earlier, people may be new to YAML. And since they're not scanning or verifying or validating their YAML in any way, it ends up being these tools later, whether it's Kubernetes itself or 
Helm or some other tool that's applying it, and they're not always giving the great experience about exactly yeah. what's wrong with your YAML. And so I love the idea of having a dedicated YAML check first, because then I'm assuming it'll be a, a little bit more obvious to me <laughs> that, oh no, I put in too many spaces, or, oh, this is an array. It's a list, but I formatted it like an array or you know whatever. I've done all these, all the wrong things I've done. All of us, don't worry. Yeah, and you stare at the command line and you're reading this error message for the 10th time and you're going, I should be able to understand what this means, but I don't know what this is. I don't know how to fix it. <laughs> it's usually, <laughs> I think I understand what it means, but I don't know what to do to, to fix it. So this is cool. So let's say I have this YAML file. It's a valid YAML file, no issues here. Run it with the tree. So basically I already installed it, the CLI tool. And the command is just the tree test and the file that you want to test. In this example, it's the Kubernetes demo. So what it's doing, it's like I mentioned, YAML, a YAML validation, schema validation, and then I have a policy. And right now in a policy, I have only two rules. I'm actually failing those two rules. One of them is that I want to make sure that I have replica between two and 10. So with the tree, what you can do is that you can actually control the setups, the rules that you have there, you can do it from the dashboard or you can do it from policy code. You can do it with a configuration file. And the cool thing that is that everything that I would do here will actually be populated into my terminal. So you talked about a confusing uh, message, right? So I right. can actually change it to say like, please with, yeah. And it's submit and turn off this rule. And so run it again. Same file, I didn't make any changes, only changed the policy. So now only one rule is failing because I turned one rule off and now it's changed the message. So instead of telling you don't use tag latest, it's using, it's using the message that I wrote inside the UI. Again, everything can also be configured with code because we are all developers. We believe in infrastructure as code. So that's the basic example. Now let's do something that will fail the schema. So we talked about this example. Let's do it with a small d. And now, run it again, same file. And now what would it do? It's doing the YAML validation yeah. and eh, it's not doing the policy check. Why it's not doing the policy check? Because it's actually not passing the schema validation. And kind must be one of the following deployment. How does it know that it wants it to be a deployment? It's smart enough. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and does it like see, is it like read into the spec and see that there's other things that are deployment-like? No, it's much more simple than that. It's not AI, it's nothing like that. It's the person that wrote the unit test actually can describe the fail message. So it's oh, okay. inside the schema definition itself. Okay. okay. So this is kubeconform running on this step, right? On the background, it's actually kubeconform that is integrated inside the tree. Yeah. Right, right. I think I have a related question. Can I do this for my own CRDs? I think that's what he's asking for or they're asking for is if you have a, a custom resource definition, my question related to this, and hopefully this will an answer their question, do I put that in the policy or do I put that in the schema validation? So I don't have a ready example for that, but sure, that's actually everything that I have, I have a documentation for that. It's the second best thing. <laughs> yeah. So because we have a bigger community, we actually have a, a really good documentation of, on all our features and also for the CRD part. So if someone is actually want to check how to do it with his own CRDs, how to do the schema validation, the examples together with the video is on the docs, on our docs. 
Yeah. And by the way, if someone need help with that, so we can also feel free to go to our own project and just open an issue. And I promise you that someone will help you with that. <laughs> There's always someone that's we'll answering. Yeah, someone will yeah, notice. Yeah. Person, yeah. And th this is the cool part about open source that is backed by a company. There's actually someone that his job is to make sure that all issues are answered <laughs> and we don't have stale issues and we don't have issues that right. someone opened and there's no response to pull request that is not reviewed. Every time that someone's opening a pull request or someone, every time that someone is opening an issue, someone will look into it. Right. So that's about the schema. The, the same thing with the YAML. This is how it will work with the tree. Every time that you try to scan something, it will make the YAML validation, it will make the schema validation. And another cool thing is that you can pass the version that you want to check. So let's give a use case. Let's say I want to upgrade my cluster into version 120. And right now I'm using 118. So I don't want stuff to break. How can I make sure that nothing is going to break? So what you can do is that you can do it in two ways. You can use the tree with our dashboard or uh, from the terminal. And you can actually go and you can choose the version that you want to check against. So change it to 122 in this example and run the file again. And right now it would check the schema against version 122 instead wow. of 120, which was there before. Right. So you can run it on the resources that you have locally, and then you can see what is breaking and what is deprecated in new versions of Kubernetes. So that's another really use case. And the best part, it's working offline. So it can be integrated inside your CI. It can be integrated as a Git hook, pre-commit hook. We have all the possible uh, integrations. Again, one of our strengths is the documentation. So if you want to check like different integrations that we have documentation for everything, and we also have it as a hem plugin. So the hem plugin also including the schema validation. So it reads Kubernetes, YAML, Helm charts, and I'm assuming customize. Does it support all three? Yeah, or? of course. So let me tell you a secret and please don't tell it to anyone. Yeah, it's not on the internet or anything. <laughs> yeah, it's not on the internet. Also Helm and also Customize and all the other stuff that are um, templating for Kubernetes. In the end, you have a manifest file that is generated and it's pushed to your cluster. Mm -hmm. So you can always generate the, the manifest with Helm. You can do it with Helm template with customize. Right. I don't remember the command, but right. yeah, we don't have a Helm controller anymore. So yeah, mm. it has to be client side. Exactly. That, that's a so, great point. And then you can just pipe it into the tool that you need if it's kubeconform or the tree. But in, in the tree case, it's actually working with the plugin. So you don't need to pipe it. You can just use the plugin and it will work with your charts. Great. Is this something I'm guessing that I could put in a GitHub action? Yeah, sure. Of course. GitHub action is basically a CI. So not a lot of people know it, but actually there is GitHub action and there's a GitHub, GitHub app. So I, oh, get, okay. I guess your, your, your question is, can I put it as part of my GitHub uh, workflow? Because we don't have a GitHub action. GitHub action is the abstraction there that you can just call, you can pass arguments and stuff like that. So right. we don't have that yet. If someone wants to submit a pull request, we'll accept it. Please do. Um, you but go. you can integrate it inside the workflow because GitHub uh, Action, which is weird, it's also the name of the CI. So GitHub Action <laughs> as a CI uh, is a CI, so it can yeah. be integrated. It's a CLI too, so you can put it everywhere. It's work in Jenkins or Algo or whatever you, you, you're using. Right. 
Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. I've been talking about GitHub Actions all year because I've been using them a lot. I've now defaulted all of my repos to at least doing something like super linter in them at minimum, if not automatically building containers. And you're right. I wish they would have called it GitHub Workflows because GitHub Action is buzzworthy. It sounds cool, but it's confusing to talk about, oh, it's an action in a workflow, but the tool is called GitHub Actions, but you're actually running workflows, not actions. The actions are in the yeah, workflow. Yeah, exactly. Like, it doesn't make any sense to anyone. The same goes with the, the, the kind of type deployment. Why do you call it deployed? Like, you need to deploy your deployment. It's, it's a saved world. Why do you use the deployment? <laughs> Why Kubernetes people? Why you chose this world? Yeah, yeah. And so unfortunately, ReplicaSite was already taken, I guess. <laughs> so the other resource, they had to come up with something. Yeah. And that's a challenge, too, because like at the, I think you mentioned earlier, at the command line, you can abbreviate a lot of these things, right? So I can type deploy instead of deployment or whatever. And case is not specific, but in this, the YAML. And I'm a, also a very lazy person, so I'm glad you're using VS Code because there's at least some of that basic YAML validation going on in VS Code due to, what is it, jasonschema.org? I, I forget the name of the URL that, that stores all the JSON standards for a lot of the um, default. It's a schema store. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. And that just kind of happens out of the box with VS Code. And I love that. I love that at least there's something there in my editors. For those of you out there not using VS Code, this is yet another reminder. Please, like, it's my go-to DevOps editor. You know, use that tool. And obviously, I'm a, also a Vim person, but it takes a lot of extra effort to make all that stuff work in Vim, whereas it just happens out of the box with VS Code. Do you know of anyone who's got like a VS Code task to automatically run this every time like there's a save or that they manually run the task inside of VS Code? Have you heard of that? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. So we have people that integrate it as a Git commit hook. So every mm. time that they are doing a Git commit, it's running the tree in the background. And we also have a really cool flag, which is basically saying only check for uh, Kubernetes files. So this way it won't spam you and check for YAML files that are not supposed to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Docker Compose YAML or... Yeah, exactly. Um, because we're, we're looking for YAML files, right? right? So it's also YAML files. So this way it will skip them and it will only check for your Kubernetes files. And we also have an integration with uh, pre-commit hook. Commit hook. Are you familiar with the framework? It's a package manager for uh, commit hooks. No, I didn't know about this. Right? Yeah, yeah. So check it out. It's a really uh, popular framework. It's really nice. And we also have a solution for that, another integration that we added recently. So if someone has an idea about another integration that we can do, we, are, we, we can do it, no problem. Pre-commit. Man, I'm learning all sorts of stuff today. Yeah. Yeah, so this would be all client side, right? Like stuff that's on my system. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's and, that, and this is an important point that may have already been said, but from my point of view, because I'm more of the ops, the person that's implementing these automated solutions for CD, right? That's usually my world. I'm, I don't spend so much time as a developer making code. I usually am helping the developer team. And one of the, my experiences is that all this pre-commit, like anything in my local system, tooling, super linter, running all the binaries, VS code tasks, pre-commit hooks, these are all great but I can't rely on it as the ops person because there's always that one developer that doesn't do any of that on the team. So that's solving that and yeah. because it's actually a package manager for pre-commit hooks. So it's the only thing that you can include inside the product sound, you know, if, if someone doing, I don't know, a pre, someone will do something, it will install it uh, automatically or something like that, but it will install all the hooks that you um, list. And okay. the thing is that I totally agree with you. Is this is why we actually, I'm a true believer in write it uh, once and run it everywhere. So this is why the concept that we have in the tree is a decentralized policy concept. Everything that you do on the dashboard will propagate to all the CLIs that are on the same account. So mm -hmm. there's a token that you can pass 
between the accounts. You can set it as environment variable or set it in a configuration file. And then all the policy that you define in your dashboard can be actually enforced for different people. Cool. And then cool. if you want to change it, you can turn off rules, change the text, whatever. You do it in one place and be automatically propagated to all the clients that are using the CLI. All right. We have a few questions. I want to make sure we get to those. Are there plans for error highlighting inside the IDE itself? So IDE, I guess, meaning my editor? I th yeah, I guess like he's talking about a VS Code extension or something like that, right? So yeah, it's something on the roadmap. The thing is that we're trying to think about how to implement it correctly because it's almost impossible to understand from the manifest itself which Kubernetes version you are running against. So mm. I guess it's something that you need to define and then we will be able to do the validation. So it's something that we're working on. Yeah. Stay, stay tuned. Yeah, I'm the one that learns about those deprecations when I run kubectl and it says, you are out of date, sir. Your version <laughs> is wrong. And yeah, so my API version is always, my, they're always out of date. I should just buy that domain. Outdated outdated schema is basically my job. Yeah, you were saying VS Code extension. So that's, yeah, that's exactly what he was looking for. And I can see how you would then have to yet another thing inside the bottom bar of my VS code that has no room for additional extensions that maybe would allow me to choose the version of the schema that it's automatically checking in the file. Yeah. And, and that's an interesting point too, because the file, if we all are writing, like we hopefully should be writing, we, we keep one resource per one YAML file, ideally. And that's the, my preferred way. It's the way I teach and recommend it because inevitably it'll be a huge file with lots and lots of resources. And so the resources version of the API, but those resource versions vary across different cluster versions and because you know, i could have an old crd and a new cluster and vice versa so at, at first glance i'm like no it makes no sense to put the kubernetes version in the yaml file but then now for this kind of exact problem it's yeah it would it, be great if there was a comment at least maybe a, a yaml comment that we can at least standardize the version this is sometimes how docker does docker file ex experimental extensions and stuff is they'll allow you to put in a comment that triggers yeah. something in a tool so my random suggestion is probably not worth anything but yeah maybe a comment that <laughs> specifies I, I the kubernetes well. version so it will solve that problem but i i didn't mention the other problem it would won't work if you are using helm because we need you need to render somehow the template right mm. and if you're working on the values or working on the chart you have a lot of placeholders for uh, for yeah. your variables so it won't be able to validate it because you need to tell us this chart goes with this value file mm. so we can render it in the background tell you if it's valid or not only 20 percent of all kubernetes users are using their raw kubernetes i guess right the majority are using the templating if it's customized or hand Right. Yeah. Everybody starts with that. In fact, I, I start with that in courses, obviously for training purposes, but yeah, eventually I like customized just because I feel like it's more Yamily, Natively. Yeah. but almost everyone I work with is, or is doing Helm. Like it, it's almost inevitable and maybe they do. I'm actually working on a project now where they have both. In fact, we have Helm using customized templates on top of them in order to out spit out. So it's like Helm into customized. <laughs> Yeah, don't ask. I guess maybe, yeah, I guess the Helm is translated into manifest and then that's pumped into a customize. I'm not exactly sure how it works. Thank you uh, so much for this. I've learned a ton. I'm definitely gonna be reading up on pre-commit stuff because I don't know why I didn't learn about that earlier. And this is a great review for me on a lot of the things around schema validation that I assume work, but don't like the, the server versus client. And I will actually ask you after the show if we can find the, the issue and I'll just put it in the show notes so people can understand more of that client versus server, the dry run. So for those of you out there, if you don't know about dry run, go check out dry run. Is there anything else that you want to lead with or leave with rather anything, any last tips or? Yeah, sure. So I will share the links with you. 
And I will also share a link to my repository with all the examples about schema validation and all the stuff that I used for my research when I wrote the blog post. And if you have any questions or the audience and have any questions, just open an issue there. If you want to ask me something about schema or right. if you have something about the trick and all. I'm a watcher on both repositories, so don't worry. Oh yeah, you know what? I have one thing to say. If you do want to use kubectl in your workflow, but you want to do it offline, you can still use this hack. And the hack is that you can use minikube or kind. Right. And okay. then it spin, will actually have up a really quick. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And then it will actually have a cluster that it can connect with to do all the validation. The downside will be that it's have to be similar to your production right. environments with namespaces and all the other stuff. Or the the right version, find. the right CRDs. Yeah. yeah. That's one of my future projects is I've been making a lot of GitHub action samples or and examples this year. And that's the next thing I want to do is have a usable real world scenario where you're spinning up kind every single time, not for schema validation, but that's a great reason more for just a GitHub action to try and deploy and simply validate that your health checks work like a very simple mm inline test and github action so that every time someone commits a pr has a pr getting ready to merge that it just goes up oh, i deployed does your app health checks work do, like as a bit because that kind of is a generic it's a generic test that doesn't require a lot of customization per repo because i'm always looking for that for students and other people by the way last question jason net i guess maybe is that supported jason net another templating language for jason I've never had to use it. So, oh, it's a templating language. Yeah, I've never had to use it. So luckily, which I'm not going to com complain about <laughs> because I have way too many templating languages. I was an old mustache handlebar, all those things back in the day. So I, I guess because maybe you haven't heard about it, then... It's not supported, thing. but again, yeah. open a ticket, enhancement, and someone will pick it up and put it in the roadmap. Don't worry. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. by the way, the person that is responsible to put stuff on the roadmap is me, so... I promise you, <laughs> so you'll be doing work. <laughs> You've got work yeah, ahead yeah. of you. If it, well, thank you so much for being on the show. I mean, we could talk. That's, the thing is, we could talk about this forever. So oh, yeah. some, <laughs> at, at some point, we've got to cut it off. I feel like there's so many best practices in here and talking about little details and nuances that... I have to tell you something about it. My article about the schema was also got published on opensource.com. And one of the requirements is that you can't have images inside your article. And can you guess why? Copyright? I have no idea. Blind developers that want to read the blog and can't uh, read it if it's reading them the text. That's not accessible. Not yeah, I thought we had I thought we had metadata for that on HTML. Interesting. I want people to follow the now correct Twitter handle, <laughs> not the one that was on there at the beginning. And you can find the tree. I put all these links so people can go check out this open source tool, see what the company is doing, what what it's about. I guess the point here that we're going to leave everybody with is you need to be doing some sort of validation. And this is probably the easiest way to. known to, yeah. You're going to do it eventually. It's going to happen whether you want to or not. It just may be validating on your server and then throwing you uh, down a troubleshooting rabbit hole that you don't want to be a part of. So this sounds like a really great solution. I'm glad that we talked about it and had you on the show. Thank you all for being here. We will be live again next week. And jump on our Patreon, just sign up for free. You don't have to pay anything. And then you'll get an email once a week that says who's going to be on the show and what podcast is getting released and all that stuff. So thank you all for showing up. We'll see you next week. See ya. Ciao. Thanks so much for listening. And I'll see you in the next episode.